Hello and welcome to the My Hope Story podcast from Hope Community Church, Balanak. Stories of hope, all about Jesus. Who are we, but sinners saved by grace? So this is really exciting. A couple of really exciting things are happening. One, we're doing another podcast. Woo! Woo! Two, it's live at Christianity Explored, so you can maybe even see a camera angle of all these guys. Everyone wave to the camera over there, my corner. Make a save, is that one? Woo! <laughs> uh, and three, Kara is doing it tonight. No, she's not. No, she's not. She's sick. So Kara was doing it. I just here at the start of the night, and then she went home sick because she was so excited, and then ruined everything. No, that's not true. Uh, but Lindsay is going to interview me, which is exciting. So we have been uh, working at Christianity Explored for the last, what? This is the seventh week. And every week we've been showing the little videos at the end, the kind of My Hope Story videos, that are like little two minute testimonies, unless some of the guys took five minutes like Chris to share it, but they're usually two minute videos. Um, but tonight we're having our day away in an evening and we're gonna do a full length podcast feature. And I was trying to get everybody to ask you Lindsay questions and then Rash kind of created a bandwagon to the <laughs> that actually you're gonna ask me questions, but it's uh, you know, gonna be fun. But that's my intro. I'm now going to hand over to Cara, no, not Cara, Lindsay, not and not like not my wife, Lindsay. So I call you little or large, but people tell me I'm not allowed to call you large, Lindsay. You're allowed to call me yeah, large. That's, that's nice. so, um, so large, Lindsay, mm-hmm. over to you. And I'm going to eat my ice cream. You're going to eat your ice cream. Mm-hmm. So I have a list of questions here. These are Cara's questions. So if mm-hmm. you don't like them, you can take that up with her. Uh, so the first question Cara would like to know mm-hmm. is, it's a would you rather. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, would you rather... Eat a tin of sweet corn every day for the rest of your life, mm. or never be allowed to cut your hair again. Mm. So, explanation, I don't really like sweet corn, um, and Lindsay doesn't really like me with long hair, not you, little Lindsay. <laughs> so, it's interesting. Mm. That's a tough, I think I'm going to say eat sweet corn, because although I say I don't like it, actually there's not that much of a taste to it, so I probably do, and I've just made more of a point of it than I should, so I'm going to say I would eat sweet corn every day for That's a good answer yeah, to give in public. Thank you, yes. I think your wife will appreciate So, tell us, Pete, um, about... My long legs get in the way. <laughs> uh, why tell us about, yeah, that is why I'm large. Experience, tell us about your um, experience with church growing up. So, I was born in the best wee country in the world. Mm-hmm. Which is Northern Ireland. Oh, not Scotland, no. Glasgow. My, what did you just call me, Linda? Nothing. Oh, you said Glasgow. So I thought it was completely inappropriate. We're going to have to start again. But no. <laughs> um, anyway, I grew up in Northern Ireland. So my mum um, was brought up Christian family. Dad brought up Christian family. Mum um, would be like very committed. We'd be very regular church and go guess today we would say kind of brought up in a gospel kind of believe in church. Um, Dad and I have interesting conversations about faith. Um, so he, I guess, would believe in God. And even over lockdown, we were emailing back and forth. He probably thinks that I think he's not a Christian. And I'm just a bit, well, I'm not sure if, how that really plays out or what do you really believe. I do find it really awkward to talk about it to my dad about that kind of stuff. But basically, so I was kind of brought up in a christian context. Northern Ireland is very kind of christian for good or bad reasons. And so when I was really young, I went to Presbyterian Church in Donoghadee, which is a weird name, Donoghadee, and Lisburn Presbyterian as well. Although my mum 
wasn't really Presbyterian. Like Presbyterians kind of like Church of Scotland. Um, that kind of idea of baptised babies, things like that. So I was, I think I was christened as a baby, actually. Although, again, mum wasn't really, I don't think she really believes in that, but she kind of did it for family reasons. Um, and yeah, so I always went to church growing up, I guess, always heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus at a young age. Um, yeah, in different kind of contexts. So. so were there significant people in your life growing up that contributed to uh, your experience with faith in church? Yeah, I mean, again, most people in my life would have said they were Christian. Oh. Back in Northern Ireland, like, you're either Protestant Catholic and you're Protestant, you would identify as Christian. Whether you really understand the Bible, really, you really know Jesus, so that makes a difference to your life, not necessarily. Um, I guess the two key people growing up were my mum, who, again, loved Jesus, taught me the gospel of young age, was praying for me every day, and massive influence in my life, but also my granny, my mum's mum. Um, we were getting her. Um, and she was an awesome wee lady. And I say we, because she literally was we. I think she's the one person I've met, which is smaller than my Lindsay, which is impressive. <laughs> um, she was godly, godly women, loved Jesus, um, part of church all her life. And I know prayed for me and our family every day. And I remember going to Herbie Baptist Church growing up. We used to sing songs all evening ourselves. I used to play the recorder. A lot of people played the flute in Northern Ireland. I played the recorder. Uh, the flute was that way, recorders this way. Um, and I remember just playing hymns. Like I was horrendous and they didn't make any tune that was anything like these hymns. But we used to sing like old hymns. She used to listen to, like, there's a guy called Willie McCray, who's like a free church of Scotland. No, free church of Ulster. Free Presbyterian of Ulster minister, but dead really cheesy, cheesy. You know the kind of videos where they walk about like by rivers and stuff and like their suits and looking really weird. Chris would love them, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> oh, this doesn't say Jesus or hope. I really should have waited till the grand reveal then about Jesus. <laughs> but that didn't happen. Um, so yeah, my granny used to listen to all that stuff and I remember songs like, excuses, excuses, you hear them every day. And just all these wee kind of gospel songs. So my granny was a, <laughs> granny was like a great influence in my life. And again, just passionate for Jesus. What did they read the Bible, share the gospel with me. Um, at a young age, got me involved in all that kind of stuff. And so yeah. So tell us about your journey, like are there key events that you can remember that were significant in, in bringing you to faith in Christ? I mean, other than a constant growing up with gospel teaching, mm -hmm. are there some key times that you think are significant? Yeah, so like the first, I kind of got a weird story, I guess. The first, I don't remember too much of the first six or seven years of my life. In the first five or six years, mum, dad and I lived in the house together, but dad left when... I think I was seven. Um, my dad got divorced. Um, dad remarried. It was now my stepmom, who's great, and get on really well with them. And um, there's a very complicated and slightly weird story there. But just in case mum or dad listened to this, I'm just not going to share any of it. Um, so we'll probably we'll keep it that way. Um, but so through that, my my stepdad kind of arrived on the scene, Derek, um, who met mum at work and. Basically, they got married. Like Derek came from a, a kind of family that loved Jesus. Kind of brethren, I don't know if you guys would know what brethren are. Kind of strict, maybe fundamentalist might get described today, but I would just describe it as people who love Jesus and love the Bible um, and really wanted to take that seriously. And so um, I remember right from the start, I remember the first real time that mum and Derek and I hung out was after, I could tell another funny story about what happened the night before, but I'm not going to get into that either because this is on camera. There's a lot of things you could ask me later that I'm probably not going to share, but basically there was a bit of an incident with a larger, larger group of people. And the next day, Derek came 
um, back and took me and my mum away for a drive and came back to his house and basically taught us this kind of Sunday school lesson, a gospel lesson in his front room. And that's one of my earliest memories of hanging out with Derek. And I was, I guess, a, a recurrent memory throughout our life because he, again, was very influential. Always make sure we were at gospel churches, always would talk about the gospel. Um, no, it was hard, right? And a lot of that part of my life was brutal in terms of just moving about from Scotland to from Northern Ireland to Scotland, not seeing my dad, tensions between family and one side of the family and the other side of the family. I wasn't a good stepkid to Derek, probably caused him a lot of annoyance and stress a lot of the time. And that relationship was, I guess, strained or I guess like strange for a good while. So there's a lot of mess in the midst of that, but certainly Derek and my mum living with them made sure that the gospel was always there and we were always at church and we used to get up um, like before school run every day and read a little bit of the Bible. Now we read the version that no one understands apart from Chris, um, the King James version, so I'm <laughs> um, But no, like I just remember that being very faithful like for five, ten minutes forward to school every day we would get together and read that. And at the time I'm like probably thought what's the point of this? It's not really going in but it certainly was a routine therefore that impressed to me the importance in later life of just I need to be in the Word, like I need to, I need to hear Jesus. And for my kids now, we get up before we go to school every day, we read a wee bit of the Bible and pray. And so that things like that, I think made a bigger difference than I realised. Um, whenever we did move from Scotland, from Northern Ireland to Scotland, we went about a few different churches and involved in like a few different Sunday schools. This is back in the day when Sunday school was on a Sunday afternoon. Anybody remember that? Anybody? It was a real church thing. Is this like Strother Hill? Is this is yeah, like near where you are. And so we used to go to this Sunday morning service, which honestly was dead boring. Like, and it was, looking back on it now, it was dead meaningful for the people that were there. I was a young kid, couldn't understand anything, and it was all pretty old-fashioned. And so just not, like, I just wasn't engaged with any of it, so pretty, just kind of get your head down. I also wore, like, little green velvet suits to church back in the day. There's pictures of that somewhere, like, very much like Chris. So, again, pretty much like Chris. I was Chris, (laughs) but not willingly is kind of where we're going with this. Um... So yeah, it was very kind of traditional in that sense. Um, kind of wear your Sunday best, speak your Sunday best, kind of like everything we're now not in our church, which might not be a good thing. Um, but yeah, but on Sunday afternoon we came back, a big bunch of kids. So in this church, the, what they call a break of the bread, hardly any kids there on a Sunday morning. Sunday school was packed. And it was like a, it was, I guess it was a housing scheme in Lark Hall, Strother Hill. And there was like 40, 50 kids there every Sunday and they were just teaching the Bible, teaching Jesus. Um, and so again, things like that were, were really meaningful to be growing up. Um, Mum and Derek were dead keen. We moved about church a few times and I guess they wanted me to be around a church that were people my age so that I wasn't kind of lost in the numbers of kind of the old mm-hmm. irrelevant, I guess, generation, but seeing people that my age who were actually interested in this and wanted to follow Jesus. So. I would like to know what kind of ice cream you're eating and That's why good. you picked that flavour. Good question. Very relevant. On this side of my bowl, I have um, <laughs> chocolate ice cream. It looks a bit like mushy poo, but it's good. And on this side is toffee ice cream, which tastes a bit like mushy, no it doesn't. Um, but it is also very good. And as some people who know me know, I am not a massive dessert fan, much to my Lindsay, um, once I heard disgust, but I do love ice cream. and would eat it every day. And as soon as I had the brainwave earlier, of oh, we could order an ice cream for this, I was actually really excited. So that's why we're eating now. All right. Uh, I'd like to, speaking of Lindsay, tell us, have you tell us a little bit more about how you met her? Tell us about your family. 
So it was always just me and my dad or me and my mum. Me and my mum and dad, me and mum and Derek in the house. I've always an only child in that sense. I do have a very complicated, like two stepbrothers and a stepsister in Larkall. I've now got a half-brother in Northern Ireland, another stepbrother and another stepbrother who's now in Australia. So a lot of complex things happening there, but it was always me and either my dad, my mum and dad, or mum and Derek in the house myself. All the way up until I was married. Um, and so, one of the, I guess, when my faith was developing, um, again, that's one of the reasons why I was, mum and Derek were dead keen to be getting me in a church of other young people about. And so, went through that. I guess through most of my Christian life up before uni, I kind of drifted and did the whole like Sunday thing where you like be a nice Christian boy on a Sunday, but then at school it was hard or irrelevant. And like, yeah, and I wasn't really cool at school. So I just guess it's even less cool to like talk about Jesus. So I, I know you think, oh, Pete, you must have been so cool. But that's the one time in my life I wasn't. <laughs> Funnily enough, it was also one time in my life that I was really shy and hated public speaking, which is ironic because now you can't shut me up. Um, but I remember getting really stressed before English talks. Did you guys ever do English talks where you had to like talk for two minutes on a subject? Now I'm like, two minutes? Come on, give me ten. But then it was hard, so a lot of those stuff going on. So yeah, so there's certainly that double life thing um, happening in many ways. Um, and then at 16, I decided, you know what, I need to be all in or all out for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so... I actually got baptised at that point. Like, again, today we wouldn't necessarily say you don't get baptised to be all in. You get baptised when, you know, when you're closer to when you're being saved. But at that stage, I got baptised to go all in for Jesus. Um, but then went to uni and the whole double life kind of thing came back on speed. And so I was getting more involved in church. So I was involved in like camp, scripture union, leading services in my little kind of small wee brethren church I was at on Sundays or the holidays for camps. But at uni, was just doing the normal uni thing. So go out, drinking, partying, all that kind of stuff. I never really thought much of that. It was kind of like, that's what you do at uni. And so it was just this kind of weird disconnect that kind of came back again. Um, and sometimes that was brutal. Like I remember, I probably shouldn't share this publicly, but I remember on one cage coming back after a night out, going to church, threw up on the way to church, and then went and led the service. So like, I was like, looking back, at like, what a muppet. But it was just that kind of disconnect of, you know, there's two parts of my life. And I got all the way through uni. And again, we were still doing, like, Scripture Union camps. I still love Jesus, I think, but I met Pete Bell at that time. We did loads of youth work stuff together, so there was definitely a, something going on there. But there was this kind of double life disconnect back. And I got to the end of uni. I basically felt really convicted by that. And so I was either... Um, Again, going to go all in or go all out. And so my plan, right, was to go six weeks travelling around Europe and get the whole party in. Like, I was single at this point, so I'm like, high five, get all the girls. And I was still ugly, so that wasn't going to work. But anyway, get all that out of my system. And then I'll come back and then I'll make it right with Jesus, right? And that'll, that'll be fine. Now, clearly God doesn't work that way. And his ways are not our ways, thankfully. I, I remember the week before I left for that six-week um, trip, we were at Scripture Union camp again. Me and Pete was there too. And these camps were usually like 80 kids, bunch of leaders, and we would go a big gospel overview, right? Because it was mostly non-Christians want to share who Jesus is with them. This camp was different. There was only like 30 kids instead of whatever. The leaders were far more in number, and so it was more concentrated on the leaders than the kids. And we went through the book of James instead of a gospel overview. Now, if you know anything about the book of James, it's not a good book if you're living a double life, because it's pretty much like... 
you're a Muppet. Your faith isn't real faith unless it's living that way. And I remember just spending that week getting, I was going to say getting smashed every morning. That's probably part of the problem. I wasn't getting smashed. Um, but just getting across the face, but like, what? If you say you love Jesus, you're likely to show it. You say, where's your faith? Your faith of what works is dead, all this stuff. Like, and then the Lord really gripped me and really in an amazing way, I think, intervened. And actually, from that point, I think changed the direction of my life again. It, not as significant from when I was saved, although I don't necessarily have that moment when I was saved. I remember numerous times repenting of sin and trusting Jesus. I don't remember the one necessarily time that happened, but I remember that week feeling the Lord just intervene and be like, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing, Pete? Not Jesus. He is Jesus. Anyway. And so that six weeks going around Europe, instead of partying and drinking and doing all that I planned to do, basically got up early in these amazing cities around Eastern Europe, reading the Bible and praying and just really feeling the Lord work in my life, um, which was great. And I came back, I was going to do like investment management. So I was basically like, my uni is mental. I did like accountancy and finance, which is nothing to do with Christian ministry. Um, although actually is in many ways close to church planting. So I was going to be like an investment manager, like a stockbroker kind of idea, like high-flying financial kind of person. Um, and I just remember feeling, this is not good for me. Not that it's not good for anybody, but if I was drawn into that lifestyle and the greed and the, it's, I mean, it's like all the movies that goes with that, it just wouldn't be helpful. And so just felt the Lord changing me, changing my direction. Came back and Derek, again, my stepdad, pretty much offered me a job working for him as a mortgage broker. But he said, do that as long as you go and study Bible college once a week, because we know that you're you're not really meant to be doing fan stuff, you're meant to be doing ministry. Mm. Which was awesome. And it wasn't it was a, wasn't a high paying job at all. Like most people out of my uni were earning like three times as much as I was. But I was just given this great opportunity just to settle a wee bit, spend some time again focusing on the Lord growing um, and really seeing where he was gonna lead me in the future so that's a long precursor to the how yeah, i met Lindsay. so the next question is tell us about your wife Lindsay, yeah well, you I, Lindsay came in and changed everything <laughs> so at that point working for derek just came back traveling uh, literally a week after we came back traveling ewan best mate at the time and i who went traveling went to this um Cayley in edinburgh um, just this little pretty blonde girl was there and fancied my best mate Ewan and so uh, <laughs> she was chatting and then um, Ewan, uh, to be fair at that time I was like, pretty chunky and hairy from travelling and um, I mean I still thought I looked great but I don't think I was that good looking. Anyway, um, so then Ewan thankfully, I don't know if I sent him away but he moved to Bath in the south of England so he wasn't on the radar for Lindsay anymore. Um, or we certainly in the process of moving and then six weeks later we go to another Kaylee, Lindsay's there again and she says it's like love at second sight and love at that first sight so um, and, uh, yeah so that, I remember that Kaylee we were chatting and we were both we bonded over you and moving away to Bath um, <laughs> it was good and yeah and it was it was weird so kind of if I go into the detail like I was involved I was had a five and a half year relationship through my teens, so like 14 to like 21 or something like that. Um, we broke up for about a year at that point. Um, Lindsay had, she could come on to her own podcast, but had lots of numerous messy relationship experience up to that point. And we both had this weird moment in the week before we met. And I was, at that point, I was like really... When you met the first time or the second time? The second time. Okay. Um, and I was like, God, I feel like I want... I, 
girlfriend, but I know I really want Jesus. Like, can you just take these feelings away? Like, just, just let me want Jesus, just Jesus kind of thing, right? Like wrestling, like, in my bed. And I remember actually shouting, like, come on, God, just do this. And Lindsay, the day of it, um, was at like a camp reunion thing where she was a leader and basically said, God, I'm going to commit to you. Okay, I don't need boys anymore. I'm just going to live for Jesus. And then that night, God was like, ha ha. And we met each other, um, which is bizarre. And again, that's not, I'm not saying there's any, that's not usually how it happens, but the Lord was really good. Um, and basically, from, because of the different experiences we had, we knew dead early on, like pretty much when there was a couple weeks, that yeah, this is, this is going to be for life. This is, we're going to get married. Our first, our second date, First date, I took her to our Motherwell match. It's the kind of guy I am. Ruth, <laughs> I'll, any guys on the scene, I'll tell them how to treat you. Um, she then became a season ticket holder before we got married, which is also great. Um, second date, we went to... Any games. No, right. she doesn't. Know. I don't know how that changed. Um, second date, we went over to Edinburgh. I was bringing my mum and wee Granny Margaret because they were going to a show. And we went out for dinner, and turns out mum and granny um, showed up at the same restaurant. <laughs> and Lindsay and I were talking away, and she was like, I was like, oh, she's like, what is it? I was like, that's my mum over there. And she's like, that's funny. I'm like, no, no, that actually is my mum over there. I don't even know if I told my mum why I was going over to Edinburgh at this point, like if she knew I was meeting somebody. So anyway, so that was an interesting second date. But again, right after that, like I remember just thinking, yeah, this is right. Like the Lord did this, this wasn't us. And, and we got engaged, I think, five, six months into our relationship. I basically, um, I went to ask her mum, and like her mum and dad divorced as well, and so it's her mum and her stepdad. I bought a ring on, um, online, great tips for them. I mean, we were going back to Northern Ireland, so I posted it back to Northern Ireland to my dad's house, but told him, don't open this, right? Like, I didn't tell him what it was, but it's dead obvious why on earth am I freaking out about a parcel that's getting sent back in retrospect, I can tell. But he sent it back, and then we went in this drive up the coast towards the Giant's Causeway. I'm sure a lot of us know, heard of the Giant's Causeway. And I had it, my mission for this drive was convince Lindsay we're not going to get married anytime soon. And so we actually had random chats, and we, Lindsay was like, yeah, we should get married. I'm like, yeah, maybe we get engaged, like, at the end of the year, next year, or... Oh, it's going to try to put her off. Um, and then we got to this wee bit, and it's a place called Port Rush. And my papa, Papa Stuart, dad's dad, had painted this picture of the white rocks of Port Rush. It's like a beach of white rocks behind it. And we'd had, the, I think I was given this picture for my 21st birthday, which is the couple of, couple of months before. And so we basically found the spot, and then I wrote, I wrote Lindsay a wee poem and get down my knee, and we got engaged. Oh, you have that. You And then, yeah, so we got engaged for six months, got married a year later. So July, crap, now I've started a date. July. I didn't ask the date, I just left that out. July totally. 2009, maybe? 2nd of July? 2nd uh, of July 2009, definitely. Hopefully, Lindsay won't check that. <laughs> and yeah, and again, what was different is Kevin the Lord was at the heart of that relationship. And it definitely wasn't easy. I'm not saying we were perfect, anyways, but it was the first time that actually we were both really trying to seek the Lord and seek His will. And, and guidance in many of that, and so, um, so yeah. Uh, kids? You have kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to have ice cream, but not when I'm talking about my kids. Kids always interrupt your ice cream. <laughs> we were married, 2009. Basically at that point, I took a job at the Church of Scotland as a youth worker. And then she went over to do teacher training. 
got a job in Motherwell as a mother studies teacher. And then I think about four years into our marriage, everyone started having kids. And then Lindsay started talking about having kids. And I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen? And turns out since that point, we've not stopped having kids. So, <laughs> so um, four kids. Josh was born, why am I saying dates? In July 2013. Yeah, and then Micah, so Josh is like what, does that make him eight or seven? He's eight. He's eight. Crazy. Okay, Josh is eight, which means Micah is six, Nathan is four, and Karis is two. And we, so there's a few like, there's a miscarriage in there, we lost the baby kind of 17, 18 weeks. Like weird enough, we'd have been a fourth boy and lost James. And then we had Karis. Um, she was a wee girl, so hard times, but the Lord was good. So Car they all have names that mean stuff. So Josh, Joshua means God saves. Um, Micah is like an exclamation, who is like God? Like, there's no one like God. Um, Nathan means gift. And Karis is part of the Greek word Karis, is grace, like a gift of grace, an undeserved gift, is what she was. And so, um, and so yeah, so that's been fun, been pretty hard. Lindsay's pregnancies have been rough in many ways. And since the last one, since Karis, it's been a lot of struggle. Lindsay's health, it's kind of battered her in, in many ways. And so, and, how, how have you seen God at work in the midst of those struggles, especially in the period with kids? And... Yeah, I mean, it, life pretty much kept getting, the intensity kept getting dialed up in life the more kids we had. And it was kind of parallel the more kids we had and the further and further we got into ministry. So we were in, at the start, I was kind of doing youth work in the Church of Scotland, um, which is great people, but a different understanding of the gospel at that point. So we're maybe trying to do different things. We were trying to more explicitly talk about Jesus and the kind of call to turn from sin to Jesus. They were maybe more explicitly trying to do good things in the community. And so... It was kind of stress that came with that, but good things that came with that. Then when we felt the Lord move us into the kind of church planting ministry, so um, basically we were kind of always prayed the kind of church that we wanted to see that would do things that other folk would find bonkers, like preach the Bible for 30, 40 minutes every week and um, make the gospel of Jesus the centre of everything and not kind of other stuff. So we kind of thought somebody else might come and start a church like that and we'd get involved. And it just the Lord seemed to work. No, no, you guys are here. You guys have got the vision for that. So you do it. So that kind of rubbed up. I think we had two kids by the time we got to that point. Um, and a lot of pressure came along with that too. So we were staying in the same community that we worked in before, which brought a lot of stress. Um, uh, again, there's a lot of people who felt hurt by that, which I can understand why. There's um, a lot of tension in many ways that came about that time, 20 schemes and some of the stuff we were putting out caused problems. And again, I can see why that was the case. And so that kind of rubbed up. We then were got a lunch as a church and um, with three kids by that point I think although I who knows the dates now in my head and then that whole fell apart so we'd like 16 people about to go well in for Jesus try to plant this church and then it all exploded two months before the launch and it was just back to us and the three dicks so Linda Scott and Steph Scott senior oh. not Scott junior but oh, Scott sorry yeah. um, so Scott Dick Linda Dick and Steph and, Dick. Uh, and then us and the bells and so Again, a lot of stress came with that. Third kid planted the church in 2018, which was great in many ways. Lord was really good. All the stuff got along with that. And then the year, that year is when we lost James. And the next year is when we got um, Karis. So again, it just felt like from a kind of steady start, the intensity in life just kind of got 
more and more and more. But I guess what we realised through that is if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd be nowhere. Mm. Like, if it wasn't for Jesus walking with us in that, but literally none of that would happen and we would be back in the barrel or back wherever we were at the start. And so it's certainly not the kind of thing, come to Jesus, everything got easy. In many ways, it was come to Jesus, things were harder. And yet, even in that, there's a hope and there's a joy that, that kind of made it better. There's an old kid's song we used to sing in Sunday school, with Christ in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. Chris, you remember that? It's a brethren one. With Christ in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. The whole idea being, just because you're with Jesus doesn't take storms away, but it means that he's with you in them. And actually going through a storm with Jesus is better than having calm without him. Because what we need most in life, that's what we've been looking at in this course, what we need most in life is that knowing Jesus and the hope that comes with knowing Jesus. And so, um, so yes, yeah, that's going to be our You've seen your faith deepen or develop through these different trials, hmm? experiences. Your faith, how have you seen your faith? Can you expand on that question a wee bit? <laughs> well, faith is... is uh... <laughs> I'll give you a chance. To, you guys be thinking of questions. Do you have any random questions you want to ask before we dive into this? Any questions? No, Scott's list is for not this okay. session. We'll get, we'll get back to Scott's list. I know, I know. But Kara would like to know a movie that made you cry. Here. Embarrassingly, I cry at most movies. Do you really? Like, I don't know why. Sometimes I think it's because of my detachment issues growing up. <laughs> but like, actually I do cry at most movies. I don't really let Lindsay know that either. So I probably couldn't pick one. And even in like, like TV shows or anything, there's a kind of like poignant moment. I'm like, man up people, don't cry. So. Right, so the original question while you were eating your ice cream was, how have you seen your faith develop or grow? Yeah, like again, I guess it's more just that knowledge that I need Jesus, which in some ways then heightens my resolve that I need to do something about that. Now, when I was younger in my faith, it was kind of normal. You go to church on a Sunday, you do these things, blah, blah, blah. The more intense life gets, the more harder life gets, the more I need to realise I actually need to seek Jesus here. Like, it doesn't come naturally mm -hmm. to me as I thought it would when I was growing up. It's what made things like getting up early in the morning, like... I would so when I first when I first married even we I had a job at all the time in the world in the morning and I never got up early and I always look back and I'm thinking that was stupid and so anytime I talk to young guys now I'm like set that in your life now when you're young because you need it when you're older and so like and you don't need to get up early in the morning right but you need to find time in a day that you could just be with Jesus because that's what I need and so I remember just learning that like right I'm gonna to need to set my alarm early I don't like it I'm gonna to need to become a morning person. I was the kind of guy that slept on to half twelve, got out of bed, went to Fur Park, and then stayed up in the night till like four in the morning. It was great. Um, and so yeah, so that just kind of right. I need to do something about this, like stuff like prioritizing church, like prioritizing things that you're doing. I mean, we did a sermon this recently, didn't we? Doing the things that you know you should do, even when you don't feel like doing them. Mm -hmm. Like that's how growth comes. It's not by just like lying about and thinking everything's great all the time or expecting something to drop out of the sky and change everything. Like sometimes the Lord does that, and it's good. But actually the daily life of a Christian is that battle to turn from sin and to, to seek him and to trust him in the, in the daily grind of that. And so I guess that's, I've seen that grow over the years and then in ministry and the pressure that come with that. Like it'd be so easy now in some ways for me to be like, I spend 10 hours prepping a sermon a week so I'm clearly in the Bible. Yeah. But actually if I'm only doing that, if all I'm doing is like pouring out and giving to others and not actually being with the Lord myself, I'd be up car wreck, car crick. Car crick? Car wreck, car crash, one of those two. Depending if you're American or not. 
We wouldn't say wreck. You wouldn't say car wreck? No, would we? We'd probably car crash, wouldn't we? Car crash. Just like this interview. So. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so like, just that knowing, right, I don't feel like it today, I still need Jesus. Yeah. Okay. I don't feel like giving to church, I don't feel like going to church, I need to go to church. Okay. Don't feel like repenting a sin, don't feel like talking to someone about my mess, I need to do it. Will you answer the next question? So I'll skip it. It says, what, did, what keeps you motivated in ministry when things are difficult? But I think that's pretty sure explained. Like, you just, you need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that was a big turning point in my life was understanding. So sometimes we call it like the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. So that whole idea that God is in control of absolutely mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. So including, like, salvation. So it's like God that chooses to save us. But just every part of our life, like God is over that. Like he is, can't be changed. Like we can't bend as well. Like, and that's hard to understand. That I, there's a big period during my life that I wrestle with that. But actually now, that is what really keeps me motivated. It keeps me going. Is that God's got this. Like I preach the Bible not because I think I'm good enough. I preach the Bible that people will get saved, right? Because it's not, I can't. If it was left to me, as we all know, nothing would happen. But I preach the Bible because I know God will work and God will save. Like, it seems like in every aspect of my life. Like, if I thought it, if I thought it was about me, right? If I thought it, man, my family relies on me to keep them going here. Or Lindsay relies on me to keep, like, phew, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Right. But the fact that I'm like, no, it relies on God. And God's going to use me and God's got plans for me. And what I need to do is honour him and seek him and trust that he's doing it. So that, there's a, there's a kind of turning point in my head that got from that, yeah, I think there's like immaturity in a lot of us in faith where we kind of think like, yeah, well, no, I make decisions, I do all this, and then kind of God helps me, and we kind of work together. And then the more and more you read the Bible, the more and more you realise, no, actually, it's less and less about me and more and more about God. It's less and less about what I can do and more about what God has done is doing. And for me, that revolutionised, hmm. like, spread approach to my own faith, but then just how I would live in life as well. Um, would you rather hmm. have puppies lick your face for an hour a day? Oh, no. Or have a hernia. Have a hernia. <laughs> I don't really like puppies. I like the concept of dogs, right? So I like a dog that I could walk because then the Pete's on the winner. He's like, Carol wants a dog and then he gets to walk the dog like five hours a day about the kids. So that's a great idea. Um, but I don't like dogs that lick you and I don't like dogs that leave hair all over your house. So if I can have a dog that doesn't lick me and doesn't leave hair all over my house, then I wouldn't mind dog. Well, I, did, I said that, and Lindsay does research dogs that don't do those things, and then I'm like, I need to create more categories. But I've got a list. I'll show you the list of reasons I'm Collaborate later. Um, what do you hope for your church and your community as, as you see God working and as he, if you're coming alongside what he's doing, what are the things you want him to, want to see him doing? So, like, for when we are platinum, look, community church, Balladic. Cool thing to do. <laughs> um, the cool thing to do these days is to have a vision statement, right? So it's like make a disciple of it. And actually, Pete Bell came up with it. We're driving back from Nidri, and we're just like, "What do you want to do? What? Oh, I just wish people would know Jesus." And there was just that whole making Jesus known thing, and that's been kind of like front and center of everything we've tried to do as a church for the last however many years. But it really does encapsulate that. Like, what do you want to do? You want to make Jesus known. So as a church. We really want to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, right? And we do that in loads of different ways. But point being, it's not just about the fun we can have with each other. It's not just about um, even like a kind of knowledge of the Bible, that's important. It's not just about being there for each other, although that is also part of it. 
but it's the fact knowing that Jesus is at the center of that. Like I want us all to really know Jesus and the joy that comes from that and to treasure him above all else. And so that's why we do everything we do as a church because we want us to, like, to know and to really trust Jesus and to do that whole growth thing that comes with that. Like it doesn't mean it's easy, right? It means that we need to do things that we don't want to do a lot of the time. But knowing Jesus is worth it. And again, that's what we've been doing in this course, isn't it? Like, most important thing is to know Jesus. You know, we often say that knowing Jesus gives us hope now. So knowing Jesus in that, on those storms of life and the trials of life. Like, again, I can testify to that. I wouldn't want to live life without knowing Jesus in my corner. But even more than that, knowing Jesus means that one day, despite all the mess and all the crap that probably is to come, I'm going to be with him forever. And he's going to take away all the pain. All my sin will be gone everything I struggle with will be dealt with and I'll be spending forever and eternity with him. And that's going to be joyful life the way it should be. And again, that's why I want to know Jesus. So above all, I want us to know Jesus. And then that's why the second thing, we want to be a church which is about making Jesus known. And, again, and previously, ministry meant a lot of things. It meant doing good things for the community. It meant helping people in their struggles. It meant providing food or shelter for people. And those are good things. And it's not that we don't want to do those things, but we don't want to put like a plaster over a thing when we've got the cure. And we want people to know Jesus above all else. And that's what we want our church to be about, sharing the hope of Jesus. And again, that's why we do crazy things like preach sermons for like 30, 40 minutes. Or want to spend a lot of time doing things like Christianity Explored. Or doing kind of awkward stuff like challenging each other where we're going wrong or um, when we're struggling. Because the most important thing for anybody is to know Jesus. It changes life now and it changes life forever. So, so if you weren't a pastor and yeah. you could be famous for something... What would you want? Probably a rapper. I'm actually quite a good rapper. You can't say that without backing it up, though. I will do it, right? So, one of my favorite raps is um, Boom, Shake, Shake the Room by oh, no. Fresh Ray. You know that? So it goes, hey, back up, y'all, to give a brother room, because the fuse is lit, and we're about to go, boom! Mercy, mercy, mercy me. My life is a stage, but on, no, my life is a cage, but on stage, I'm free. And then that kind of goes on. Pete and I actually do a good version of that, so there's a lot of stuff. Thank you, Hunter. So yeah, so I think a rapper. Like, I was, so I do like music. I used to be in a band called Table 57 during called uni. What? Table 57. We went to the same pub quiz every week. And we sat at table 57 every week. And then we actually took that table from the pub one week. And it's now my mum's house. So uh, table 57 is the name of our band. So I would like, I think I'd like to be, I like kind of music. I was never, I would love to be, like, these days I listen to singer-songwriters. I'd love to be able to have a good enough voice to kind of carry a singer-songwriter stuff. But I'm not really that good at singing. I can play guitar, like I, I cover that. But if I could change one thing, I think I'd be a really good singer. What about books? Do you read books? Yeah. What's, what's, what would you say, other than the Bible, would be a most influential book? Hmm. So I had to force myself to read books. Growing up, I never read books apart from the Hardy Boys. Anybody know anything about the Hardy Boys? They're like basically teenage boy, like, whodunits. Like, murder detective things. Yeah, he's kind of like Eddie Blyton. Yeah. Aye. No, they're not really. I, thought I did watch wrestling too. <laughs> um, and so I love the Hardy Boys. Um, but that was all I really read. And so I had to, when I was basically grew, growing as a Christian, I kind of had to force myself to read books. Uh, and as a pastor, you kind of have to keep mm -hmm. going to read books. Um, and so some of the books I forced myself to read that would be really helpful are like God is the Gospel by a guy called John Piper. And that was one of the things that one was helping me in that cold wrestle with the sovereignty of God. But actually his big point in that book, and again, we said this actually in our last session, is that the point of the Gospel is not just that you escape hell. 
-hmm. The point of the gospel is you get to know Jesus. And for me, that was again revolutionary. And so many times, like we just did the session where it was like, are you trying to use Jesus for something or do you just need Jesus? And even as a kid, I think I used Jesus for that whole getting out of hell thing. So I'll get out of hell, I'll live my life the way I want to live it, that's fine. Um, But, you know, whatever. Whereas actually, God is the gospel. I was like, no, no, Jesus is awesome. Like he's worth it to know him. And one of the big quotes of it is, if if you could have eternity um, without... You know, all the bad things in life, with all your friends there, everything going great, and Jesus not being there, and you would be happy with that, then you're not really a Christian. Because being a Christian is actually wanting Jesus above all else. And again, that smashed me, but again, massive turning point in that kind of thing. So yeah, so other Piper books, Desiring God, Don't Waste Your Life, the things of that were a massive influence as well. um, Any books you wouldn't recommend? A lot. I went through a time reading uh, Velvet Elvis, Rob Bell. So, kind of awkwardly back in the day, I was reading Rob Bell, or listening to Rob Bell, and listening to Mark Driscoll, who now have both disqualified themselves for different ways. Rob Bell, he was teaching complete heresy. Mark Driscoll is a banger. So, there's lots of things going on there. Um, but certainly, yeah, they certainly went through that period of, um, of like, not quite, and I guess when you're trying to take your faith seriously, you either go to the kind of more liberal end of like, well, all these things are, this is how it's the nice, the world prioritises these nice things. So should we be helping with that? Or you kind of more we go deeper into the Bible and like, well, what does the Bible really want to say? Am I going to look at this through the world's eyes? Am I going to look at this through, look at the world through the Bible's eyes? Um, and so, yeah, I went on that kind of journey. But. Last question. <clears throat> what would you say to someone who doesn't think they have what it takes to be a Christian? I'd be like, correct. And that is good news, right? Yeah. Because if you had to had if you had to have what it takes, then you're like listening to the wrong gospel. The gospel is not get yourself sorted and come to Jesus. The gospel is you need to be sorted. You should come to Jesus. And so like we spend a lot of time in our life trying to convince people of that. Like you're not okay, and that's okay because Jesus is. And so so yeah, if you don't think you're enough, then trust Jesus. He is enough, and that will change you. Any questions from the floor before we move on with the rest of it? you got to have something for us. No. I might find something. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have missed a lot of my story out, which I will come back after a bit. Oh, no. I, I didn't actually write any of this down, so sorry, everybody. But is that anything personal about me you want to know before we leave? That's good. That's good. Not even, we did say you might want to know about underwear size. Say anybody want to know that? You were just going to share that. No, that can't be me. That sounds very inappropriate. <laughs> Great. Then do you need to sign off saying something about the podcast? Thanks for joining our podcast. My first ever podcast. And uh, maybe my last. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you for listening to the My Hope Story podcast. To find out how you can have your own hope story, go to www.myhopestory.co.uk